Where'd that guy go? Well, good morning. It's uh, funny to me. I, I don't think I've ever really made this joke, but I hear people at church make this joke about, oh, well, we're the better Christians. We sit on east side, you know, or we're the better Christians. You know, we sit on west side. And I guess today we kind of see east side kind of wins today. You know, I, I, I don't know. I'm just saying, just saying. So, oh, you made him move. Oh, okay. Well, anyways, that's silly. Um, I want to. I hope everybody got a card today. One of these cards. Uh, they we didn't get them passed out at the beginning, but if you didn't get one, there's some in the back back there beside Rebecca. And uh, we've been doing this each week where we've been reading through the Book of Luke, giving you some scriptures to memorize, and also a mission for this week. And I appreciate the team that put these together. I especially appreciate all the different members of our church who wrote these devotional thoughts for us. A dozen different people in our church took time out to write a short devotional that God put on their heart from the reading for the week. And so I really appreciate those. This is a great uh, devotional thought that Deborah did this week. It's one of the marks, I would say, probably of Gateway is that at least, at least with me anyways, being your preacher, is that I, I just can't do this by myself. And uh, there may be some preachers that can, and man, they're awesome, and they can get on a horse and lead the way, but I just don't happen to be that kind of person. And the only way I can do this is to do it together. And so if it's, if it's not uh, a group effort, then, then I, I'm, I, I would have to not be a part of that. And I don't think it's any accident that today, as I was trying to decide, I, I shouldn't say I was trying to decide today, but in the past uh, uh, few weeks, I've been trying to decide how to introduce this lesson. And, and I wanted, what I wanted is for you to, to know how important this book is, how meaningful this book is as we start this lesson. The whole entire book from Genesis to Revelation. And I wasn't sure how to communicate that. And then Jerry Longbotham walked in, our brother who lives in Capitan. And I'm going to ask Jerry to come on up here this morning. He walked in and he told me about a three or four minute long story. And I asked him if he would tell you this three or four minute long story this morning to illustrate exactly what I just said, how important this entire book is. Would you guys give a big welcome to Jerry Longbotham? Come on, Jerry. Right here. Thanks, John. <clears throat> three or four seconds, maybe. Three or four minutes, maybe three or four hours. I don't know. Well, won't be the last one for sure. Um, a lot of you know me and a little bit of my history, my recent history. The whole premise for me to be in this place, this moment, this day, very simple. I finished reading the entire Bible this morning. I need to give you a little background on that.
when I finished Revelations this morning, I thought, I've got to go to church. I need to meet with Christians. I need to get on my knees before the Lord Jesus, the Christ. Partake of the Lord's Supper. I need the emblems representing his body, his life on this earth, and the blood of that lamb shed for me and also shed for you. So I came. About three years ago, Joshua Watkins was a preacher in Capitan. He started a program to read the Bible through. And I would print off the readings about three months at a time, two to three months. And I would go through them and read because I thought, maybe I'll, I need to do this. All my life, well, not all my life, but I've read the Bible. But have I ever read all of the verses? I could not say. So I wanted to do this. A few months into the program, I was in an accident, bicycle accident, and it interrupted the reading. I would love to go into that a little deeper, not for bad, but for good, because God was the turns, God turns what Satan intends for evil to good. But when I got home from the hospital a few months later, <clears throat> I wasn't supposed to be alive. I knew that. Many people around me would say, what are you doing? I mean, why? I said, I don't know. I don't know why God has me here. I don't know why I'm here today. And it's only by his strength I'm speaking to you all this way. I'm not a speaker. So he's, he's developing some of the words. I, I can't say all the words, but he's presenting these ideas. I hope I'm not going to destroy your three minutes. Uh, anyway, I, I knew I needed to finish reading because I have no other reason to be alive. I mean, I see the Bible laying there and the program that got interrupted. And, okay, I'll start reading again. Can I have five more? Ten minutes? I, I, I want you to finish the story, so. Um, while I was in the hospital, they were giving me shots in the stomach hurt like the dickens. I mean, like a wasp thing. And it was about every 20 minutes. I didn't know why. But every time I'd wake up, and there in the doorway was would be a nurse and a nurse poking me. And oftentimes a series of doctors standing there hovering over my bed. I'd just fall back. I woke up and I saw black. Just black. There's no way. This brain is toast. It's 
going to go to the lung. Something is going to happen. Well, multiple days I saw this person in the doorway and it was kind of confusing to me. But time went on. I was reading the Bible some more. Then all of a sudden my face, I had metal in my face, holding it together and it went south. Got infections and of course that's kind of close to the brain. And the doctor, Malave, decided we got to get that out of there now. And he started working with his nurses trying to get me into the emergency room that day. And it wasn't going to happen. It happened Monday. He took the metal out. He laid it open, found stuff. And while I was in a consultation with him later on, He, uh, we were just talking, and I said, uh, you know, I want to know who this nurse was. I tried to ask one of the other doctors that put my shoulder back together, and I just couldn't get it out. But I asked Dr. Malavi, who was this nurse? She didn't have a clipboard. She never came in. Nothing. And he said, well, describe her to me. I couldn't find words. He said, was she stunning? I said, yeah, that describes her. She was stunning. And he said, was she an angel? She, it was my angel. I had started reading the Bible again after getting the face put back together. And I thought again, why? Why does God care about me? And why would he present such a stunning individual to take care of me? There's no other reason for me to be here. In reading, I continued to read. And I finished the written word this morning and I Lord help me I've always been a person that wanted God to guide me And in these words, I found additional comfort. And so I wanted to come this morning, participate in his emblems. And before you now, I want to physically lay these words. These are the words of God. Oh, so important. But don't leave them there. Let them be written on your heart. That's where God wants them. And if you want it, he will see that it will happen. And now all I 
can say is I want God to use my life however he sees fit, however he can. I'm made up of something I don't even know. But he knows. And I want to submit myself to him. And we're all just common wolves. But we are called out. God has called us above being a common wolf. Listen to his calling. Let that be written on your heart and follow that calling. And if all he can do with me now is allow my life to continue down a path that says he's a little different. He lives a decent life. That's all I can ask. Praise and glory be to God, the Father. And amen. Amen. Jesus gave his life that we might live that called out life, that life above animalhood and be pleasing to him and be acceptable at the feet, at his feet in the last days. And over and over in Revelation, he says, we bring praise, we sing praise. That's where we're headed. The days are short. And one simple thing that you can do in your life is exactly what this does over and over and over. It witnesses about Jesus the Christ. In a nutshell, this is a witness of the Christ. God bless you. Thank you, Jerry. I, I didn't I didn't get to I'm sorry. Okay, you want me to sit down? You're an elder. If you want me to sit down, I'll do that. <laughs> uh, thank you, Jerry. And and I didn't get to hear the part about the angel, so that was awesome. Thank you. That was fantastic. And uh, and I appreciate your testimony about God's word this morning. When I was uh, in college, I, I had a friend and we used to, we love movies, and so we used to play this game with each other. We'd Say, okay, I'm going to give you three movies, and you've got to tell me what they have in common. And so, like, like, for instance, you know, Toy Story is about a cartoon about toys, and, and, and Saving Private Ryan is, is, a, is a movie about World War II, and Apollo 13 is a movie about astronauts. But what do all three of them have in common? Tom Hanks. Yeah, that's exactly right. Tom Hanks is in all three movies. I thought all of you would know that. You guys need to watch movies more often, I guess. So... Tom Hanks, yeah, and, and here's the deal. As you look through just, just, what, just what Jerry just said, you look through this Bible, and if you listen to these scenes that I'm about to give you, they're all different. Every one of them's different, but they have the same thing running through them. Listen to these scenes from the Bible. Skins to cover nakedness. 
Genesis 3. A boat that took decades to complete in Genesis 6. Blood on the doorpost in Exodus, the beginning of the book. Dry ground to walk on a few chapters later in Exodus. A stone and a slingshot over in 1 Samuel. A great fish provided for a rebellious prophet. A fourth man in a fiery furnace and lions that can't open their mouths over near the end of the Old Testament. For those of you who have done like Jerry and you've spent time in this book right here and you've read this over and over, you're going to recognize all those as familiar stories. They're all different. Every one of them is different from the others. But all of them have the theme that goes through. It whispers through the pages of this book. It's a theme that tells us what God is all about. It's a theme that weaves its way through the entire life of Jesus Christ. And it's a theme that explains the mysterious work that Jerry was describing that goes on, that the Holy Spirit does here in our lives and in the lives of people around us. What is this theme? The theme is salvation. The theme is Jesus Christ. The theme is rescue by a Savior. The theme is liberation. The theme is release from captivity because of what Christ did on the cross. That's what this book is all about. This book is about a God who saves. That's what this book is about. It's about a God who saves. What is the life of Jesus all about? He said it in his own words when we read in Luke. I came to seek and save what was lost. That's what he came for. And today we're going to look at a text that tells that same big story, that huge story in the life of one man. We're going to do it very quickly. We're going to read this text as Brian said, the one I've been looking forward to the most, all this whole series. His name is not here, but he's the most famous of criminals, the criminal on the cross. Let's pray. God, thank you today. Thank you for Jerry. Thank you for his words. Thank you for his testimony. Thank you for your work in his life. Thank you for your word. And we pray today, God, that you would teach us that as we listen to these words, that just as Jerry said, they would go deep into our hearts and they would change us. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Luke chapter 23, if you want to turn your Bible there and you can follow along. Luke chapter 23, and we'll read starting in verse 32. Verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he's the Christ of God, the chosen one. You know, just, yeah, I'm going to interrupt this for a second. Can you imagine there being an execution today? There was an execution just this last week, that mass murderer. Can you imagine people gathering around his execution and making fun of him? Calling out, screaming, yelling at him? Come on, get off the table. You know, if you think you're so great, that's what's happening here. I think we read over it and we forget. This is an execution. This is horrible. People are laughing and making fun of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as he's being tortured and killed. Verse 36, the soldiers came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and they said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him that read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. And here's the part we want to concentrate on today. But the other criminal rebuked him. 
Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you will be with me today in paradise. Can you imagine being this man? Brian mentioned that a moment ago, that he's kind of imagined himself in these texts, and so have I. Can you imagine being this man? Well, you may say, no, not really. I'm not a criminal. I'm not going to die a torturous death at the hands of the Roman government. I'm not imagining myself being this person. But before you dismiss the possibility, consider the thought, have you ever found yourself in a situation that was created by your own bad decisions? Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever been caught and embarrassed? Have you ever felt the pain of the consequences of your mistakes or sins? Have you been in the company of friends who blame God for their own problems? If so, then maybe you can imagine being this man. One thing I've noticed about God as I read the whole Bible, and as I watch him work in this world today, is this. It's that he is very willing to show up in our hurts. He is willing to show up in our mistakes and our consequences. As Jerry said, and what the Bible, he was quoting the Bible, what the devil means for evil, God means he can turn around and turn it into something good. It's almost like God sits up on the edge of his seat in anticipation, ready to move powerfully in our lives when he sees there's hurt and and all kinds of pain, and there's all kinds of consequences. He sits there, and he's ready to move with one condition. Will we ask? Will we ask? And in this text, we see one man who won't ask. Nope, he's prideful. He's not going to ask for help. To the bitter end, he'll do it himself. And the other man, we find, does ask, and the difference is an eternity apart. And so three quick things about this man who asks for help. The first one is this. The criminal on the cross fears God. He says that in, in, in the text that we just read. Don't you fear God? Did you know that fear of the Lord, did you know that it's mentioned over a hundred times, at least over a hundred times in the Bible? We have that famous scripture that we think of, a lot of us, the fear of the Lord is the, what? Beginning of wisdom. But did you know that the fear of the Lord the Bible tells us leads to a bunch of other things too. The fear of the Lord adds length to our life, the Bible says. The fear of the Lord brings wealth and honor. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. The fear of the Lord causes us to avoid evil. The fear of the Lord causes people to lack nothing. On and on and on. The fear of the Lord has good effect in people's lives. Jesus tells this story He says, don't fear the one who can kill the body. I wonder if you've ever been afraid, like maybe somebody's going to kill me or I'm going to get hurt. Jesus says in Luke 12, he says, I tell you, my friends, don't be afraid of the one who kills the body and after that can do nothing else. But I'll show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after killing the body, has the power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Fear the one who has the power to throw you into hell. Who is he talking about? For a long time, I don't know about you, but for a long time, I thought he was talking about the devil. You should be afraid of the devil, because he might throw you into hell. But let me tell you something, the devil has no power to throw anyone into hell. God has power 
And there's coming a day when we're going to stand before God and we're either going to be given the gift of eternal life or we're going to be thrown into a lake of fire to experience the second death. Those are the two options. And God is the one who has control. He is the judge. Jesus tells it this way in the, in the parable that he says in Luke 14 that we read a few weeks ago. He says, go make peace with that king. Here's how he says it. Suppose a king is about to go to war with another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 to oppose the one coming with 20? If he's not able, so you got 10,000 men, you're going to go fight somebody who's twice as strong, and you're not able, this is what he says to do. He will send a delegation while the other's a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. God is saying, Jesus is saying in this parable, God is the powerful king. You better make peace with him. And he, by the way, is the one who's offered great terms of peace. He's the one who's offered salvation. Just what this book is all about. When you think about fearing God, I hear people often say, well, that really just means respect God. We just need to respect God. And I agree with that. We definitely do need to respect God. That's for sure. But do you know when people in the Bible, when they met God, do you know what happened? Their knees shook and they couldn't talk and they fell on their faces out of fear. Now, does that mean God is bad? God's horrible, he's mean, you should be afraid, run away, he's like a scary movie. No. It means that he is great. He is powerful. He is huge. And we are small. Eventually, perfect love will drive out fear, according to the book of 1 John. And I'm sure later this day that this man who said, don't you fear God, that his fears melted away in the face of love. Right in the presence of God himself. That's the first thing is he fears God. And that's something that you and I should consider. The second thing is he admits his hopeless situation. In verse 41, he says, we're punished justly. We're getting what our deeds deserved. We're not good, basically, is what he says. We're hopeless. We're in a hopeless situation. One time a rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, good teacher, and Jesus said this, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. Now was Jesus saying I'm not good or was Jesus saying I'm not God? No, he wasn't saying that. He was trying to let the rich young ruler understand, hey buddy, you're comparing yourself to people. You're looking at me and saying, I'm, you know, that, that teacher's pretty good and I'm, I'm good too and I'm better than these other people behind me back over here. And Jesus is saying, Let me put you all of all human beings on the same level. Not good. Not good. Only God is good. Romans 3, Paul says, all have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. He says later in Ephesians 2, it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so no one can boast. Why? Because no one is good. It has to be a gift. It has to be completely, 100% given from God. I remember when I was growing up, I was taught by good-willed people that love the Lord, and they were trying to help me understand what they believe about the Bible. And they brought a cup in, and they poured in some water, and they said, you do as much good as you can, and that's all you can do. And God's grace will fill up the rest. And the Bible I read says that God's word fills the cup to overflowing by himself. He gives the gift of salvation. His grace completely saves me, not by anything that I 
have done. But it's human nature for us to compare ourselves. I'm better than that guy over there. I'm not as bad as that lady. I'm actually a pretty good person. I've been thinking about a lot of the good things I do and about how nobody really knows about those things, and I'm actually pretty good. We're just fooling ourselves if that's what we say. This criminal has no such pretenses. He says, I'm not good. I'm getting exactly what I deserve. I like the... (laughs) I like the story I heard about this little seven-year-old who got up early in the morning and he made some coffee for his grandmother and he took the cup to her in her bed, you know, and she sat up and, and she got the coffee and her seven-year-old had given it to her and she started drinking it and it was the worst cup of coffee she had ever tasted in her life, you know. I'm not sure what he did to make it. But she choked it down and she told him how much she appreciated him doing that and how, you know, because that's what grandmas do. She drank it all the way, and when she got to the bottom, she looked, and there was something in there, and she pulled it out. You guys know those little green army men, you know what I'm talking about? Those little green army men? There were two of them in the bottom of her cup. She's like, sweetie, what in the world? Why did you put these army men in the bottom of my cup? And he said, I saw the commercial. Soldiers. (laughs) It's the, I totally blew the whole thing. I don't even know. It's the best part of your morning, soldiers in your cup. That's what I meant to say. That would have been awesome. The best part of your morning, soldiers in your cup, right? I think that's got to be a true story. Here's the deal, folks. All of us got some soldiers in our cup. Whatever you got to offer. Some of us by accident, like the little boy. We don't mean to, but we just don't understand. We don't have complete understanding. We can't do all this right. We mess stuff up. Sometimes we don't even realize we're messing it up, and we are, and we're dropping soldiers in the cup. But some of us want to drop some soldiers in the cup, and we want to give it to that guy, and we hope maybe he chokes on it. Because that's who we are. We're not good. And we need to admit, like this man, our hopeless situation. And finally this. The third thing is he recognizes that Jesus has done nothing wrong, and he humbly, in verse 42, asks God to save him. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And you know how God responds? You know how Jesus responds? He responds the same way he does through the whole Bible. If Jerry had given us all the stories he read through the whole Bible, every single time that somebody asks, Jesus, God, saves people who ask him to. That's what God is in the business of doing. And that's what Jesus does for this man who hangs on the cross. And that's what you and I need to do. We need to be asking God humbly, would you remember me? Would you save me? Whatever the situation is, whatever's going on in our life. Some people I know want to make sure that people don't miss God's commandments. Wait a second, John, you better be careful there. You're talking about the thief on the cross. You're just going to make people say, oh good, I'll just wait till I'm about to die. And then I'll just say, Jesus, you know, save me, remember me. And they've done that By saying, I've heard people say, this story is a pre-kingdom story. In other words, the church is going to be established later in about seven and a half weeks after Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit comes and Peter preaches and 3,000 are baptized. That's when people will start to be saved. This one doesn't count. Really. If it doesn't count, then why did Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, also write this story for us? Why would he write this story If you're concerned that someone might not follow Jesus because of this story, I'll just tell you this, that's not been my experience. Every time I've shared this story, every time I've read this story myself, what it's led to is humility, a motivation 
to be humble before God as sinners in need of his grace. And that kind of humility leads to changed hearts. That kind of humility leads to followers of Jesus Christ. One last important thing about this story. And that's, I guess, especially if it doesn't fit into your steps to get to God. If you've got four happy hops or five holy hoops or whatever you've got to jump through that you figured out in the Bible, these are the things you must do. You better do these four or five or whatever they are. Let me, let me just say this. This story is a great reminder that Jesus can save anyone that he wants to. Jesus can save anyone he wants to, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of my understanding or your understanding of the Bible. Jesus is the Savior, and he does not need our permission or our approval in order to save a person. He is the Savior. And so we've come to the end of this study called Encountering Jesus. Think of all the people we've walked beside here in Luke's Gospel. The shepherds, the lepers, the widows, the crippled, the sinners and tax collectors, the apostles, the Pharisees, Judas, Malchus, and now this criminal. All different. Every story different. All the needs in their lives different. But like us here today, all the same. All the same theme as they encountered Jesus, lost and separated from God. But thank God he sent Jesus with the mission to seek and save the lost. I personally see myself in this man. I bring nothing to Christ except my failures. And I humbly request for him to remember me. And I have faith that he's begun a good work in me. And I have faith that he's going to finish what he started. Twelve encounters with Jesus. And yet, finally, we come to the most important encounter of all. The 13th encounter. Because that's your encounter. And I might be tempted to say on a snowy morning when everybody stayed in bed that none of you need to hear this, but I I won't do that. I'll let God's Spirit do whatever work He wants to do this morning and ask you this question. What will you do with Jesus? What are you going to do with Him? Will you begin with the fear of the Lord? Will you recognize the truth about yourself that you're not good, that you're a sinner in need of God's grace? Will you humbly ask for Him to remember you no matter what difficult thing is happening in your life? I'll tell you this, whatever it is, he sits poised on the edge of his seat, ready to rescue, ready to bring freedom, ready to save you. And I just say to you today, if you're a person here today that happens to be here and you have never called out to God, if you've never cried out and asked him to save you, don't leave here today in rebellion like the first criminal. Don't do that. Don't do that. Imitate the humility of the second and call on the name of the Lord today. And if you do that today, if God would lead you to do that today, you come find me and, and we'll baptize you in some really warm water on a snowy day. The warmth of the Savior will do exactly what Isaiah said. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be what? White as snow. If you need to come, To Christ, you come while we stand and while we sing.